Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Oh, Kevin, so happy to be with you this morning. <laughs> I, I just can't tell you. That's the, the sincerity of that. I'm sure that's I really. Sher- I really can't tell you. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that Cheryl has appreciated that all these years. <laughs> yeah, for, for some reason that tone grates on her at times. I quite, <laughs> I don't quite understand why that is. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. And also joining us uh, is our old pal Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello. Speaking of grating on people, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. How, how are those ribs, Evan? My ribs are okay. Did you crack a rib or two? My ribs oh, are okay. We need, to, we need to talk about that. It, it appears that in the press box the other day, Evan Grant, who was probably, you know, doing something and, and not paying attention to the game, which is his usual MO during a ball game, was, I guess, hit by a foul ball. Is that correct, Evan? Well, um, yes, Kevin, uh, the, the press box is in Baltimore is very close and the netting is not, um, all that high and Adolis Garcia, uh, hit a foul ball, came screaming back right into the press box. I tried to get up to make a play on it and it hit me smack in the ribs. Um, I've got a big bruise there. Um, but, uh, I got the ball and, and, uh, gave it to a, a kid and, all was good, and I don't think I dislocated my pinky on a weak foul ball like anybody in this conversation may have at some point in time. No, no hold on a minute. Now, that fly ball in Anaheim, I caught that ball. Uh, that you? No, you did you, not catch that ball. I did, too. I initially bobbled it, but I caught it. You got Are your hand on the ball. Yours, you, you were trying to catch it, and it hit you in the ribs. I'm wondering, is that your usual modus of, of, of catching something? Is using your ribs for that? Is that is that how you usually do it? I he's a body catcher. Was standing yeah. up to make my catch with my hands out in front of me, and that ball. I I went back and I looked, Kevin. Thank thank God for metrics. Now that ball came off the bat at 95 miles an hour. Okay. And what it, speed was it when it came off your ribs? Yeah. It, it, it squared me up pretty good. Now, you, you hear me. I'm not having trouble breathing. I'm not in any pain. I didn't rub it. I didn't, like, say, oh, Evan, I might have to go to the doctor because my pinky's dislocated. Um, Are you going to start wearing a Kevlar vest for no. the rest of this season? No. Because you know why? Because the press, the rest of the games are in, in Arlington and the press box there. You can't reach it with Elon Musk's rocket. Oh, no. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, you know, usually when I go to a game in, at, uh, uh, at the old ballpark now, it's like, is there something going on down there? I, I, it seems to me that someone just threw a pitch and someone might have swung and missed. It, we're, we're a little high up there, but it's otherwise it's a great place to watch a ball game. Do, do uh, I need to tell my right. story real quick now of the, of the Rangers ball I didn't catch? This has well, historic. If you can do this really quickly, David, we'll let you do it. Define quickly. Uh, in five seconds or less. Oh, okay, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> I was one row away from catching the first home run David Clyde gave up. Wow. <laughs> How about that? What a... <laughs> Okay, we can go on now. What a what a <laughs> what a passing what a passing glimpse of closeness with greatness. I, I, yeah. 
Have you ever told David Clyde that? No, I have not. Uh, Next time I see him, I will. Okay. I'm sure he would appreciate it. I will yeah. just I will just say this, um, and, and we'll move on. But uh, speaking of David Clyde, when Glenn Otto from Tomball, Texas, made his Major League debut after the game, I, I asked him, by any chance, because, you know, David Clyde does, has done some, like, individual instruction down in Tomball. Um, yeah. I said, have you uh, have you ever been instructed by David Clyde? Just I'm, I know I'm asking kind of out of the blue here, and and so this is David Clyde's spot in Rangers history today. Glenn Otto said, um, uh, honestly, uh, no. I uh, the first time I heard that name was at the hotel today. Some of the oh, oh my so, god, so that they don't have out there on the oh. city limits of Tomball, home of David Clyde. I don't think they have that now. I, I don't oh think they do. Oh my gosh! So. Wow. They need to teach these kids better about their history, don't they? Boy. Yeah, boy. These boy, kids today. Yeah. These kids today. All right. Well, the David Clyde was like six when he pitched for the Rangers, so he's only. I think he's only like forty-eight now. That's the crazy thing. Evan, would you like to keep your dogs at bay there? That would be really. Great. I was him. He's he's putting on a brave face about the ribs. I think that was actually him whining <laughs> over his ribs. I think it was too. That's great. I love that. Uh, Evan got a little blow to the side there. A little howling. Oh my gosh. A little torque. A little torque. Yeah, he torqued himself. Yeah, go torque yourself, Evan, would you? Uh, all right. So now we're going to move on to the to that little game last night uh, with the Cowboys against the Little Eagles. Uh, Man alive. I want to tell you something. Two takeaways from that game real quickly. One, the Cowboys are pretty good. And two, the Eagles are really bad. Uh, and this NFC East, if the Cowboys can just stay awake through the rest of the games against the NFC East, I think that they will do a terrific job. Don't you, David? Oh, Evan's jumping in here. He liked that. I was <laughs> Kevin, what did I text you at 9 o'clock last night? You said that this is the worst football I've ever seen in my life, I believe. something. Like I, that I think I said they've got to win the division by three games. Um at a minimum, this is this division is horrible, David. Well, last night was was clearly a de- declaration that they are the team to beat in the division. It's hard to see how any of these other three teams will really even challenge them. And, and I think two phrases, Kevin. You said staying awake, uh, staying healthy on the offensive side of the ball with, with their key players. If that happens, I just don't see how any team in this division can challenge them. Um, and again, that's not to say that this is a great team, but this Dallas team, I, I think, has shown something early this season that we really haven't seen in, in two to three years. Um, you know, it, it was significant that beyond the win, just beating Philly the way they did, this team is now two and one. That may not sound like much, but it's the first time in Mike McCarthy's 19 game tenure as head coach that the team is above 500. And you want to go back before that, the last time this franchise was above 500 was in November of 2019, when it was 6-5, and and that's a stretch of 25 games. So I think that kind of snuck up on Cowboy fans that uh, that's a long time for a team not to be over 500. And uh, so I think now that they're back over uh, with two home games coming up here and then going on the road with what should be a 
potentially winnable game in New England, which how often have you been able to say that over the last two decades? Um, they've really positioned themselves here to uh, erase that uh, pungent smell that was uh, emanating from last season. Yeah, this is a, 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 a remarkable turn of events. I mean, I, I know, David, you and I were the only ones who had the Cowboys with, with double-digit wins we are predicting going into the season. We both said 10-7. and seven. Uh, I think that's the floor for this team now is 10-7. and seven. And, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are playing uh, a, a pretty weak schedule. Uh, they're, they're not only playing in the NFC East, they're playing a weak schedule. And there's first seven games, I believe there's two teams that have winning records at this point. And they face one next week in that in the, in in Carolina are coming up, and that's a team that won't have Christian McCaffrey, who's their best offensive player, and lost their starting corner J.C. Horn. So and and it'll be at home where Dallas actually showed some dominance uh, and started to play better at home at the end of last season. So um, yeah, this is that Dallas has positioned itself as good as it can, and and let's say this real quick too not just because of how they beat a bad Philadelphia team last night, but and not just because of them taking Tampa Bay down to the wire in the opener on the road, but beating the Chargers on the road when seven days later the Chargers turn around and go to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs, I think that is just another indication that this Dallas team is better than what we've seen here over the last three to four seasons. Yeah, I'm not going to back off the point that I I made after that game that the Cowboys were fortunate to win that game, considering all the mistakes that the the Chargers made. 12 12 penalties for 99 yards. But uh, two, and then this was brought up during the broadcast last night, Justin Herbert is a terrific quarterback. Made even more incredible throws in that Chiefs game. Yes, he did. Uh, and so to, to be able to get him at this, at this point and to get the Chargers was a really – it turns out to be a very good win for the Cowboys to be able to get that because uh, he is really good. How many quarterbacks are they going to play better than the first two that they played? You know, and they, they exactly. came out of the box against Tom Brady and Justin Herbert. They came out of that one and one and almost won that first game. So they're not going to play any better quarterbacks than those two guys the rest of the season. Now, who they had? They had, they had Jalen Hurts last night. They're going to have Sam Darnold next week. They're going to have right. Daniel Jones the week after that, and then a rookie in Mac Jones. So, right. It's not you know it, it's the kind of thing that this uh, this team could probably handle. And and what I liked, David, about the reaction from the players after that game, and and, and Zeke Elliott said this a lot. Uh, was and several players said it was. Yeah, this was really a good win. We played really well, but we made a lot of mistakes, and there are a lot of things we can do better. And we could have we left a lot of points on the board, uh, and that's in a game they won by twenty points. Uh, and and to hear those guys say that, and 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 I think that, and I think frankly that it's accurate. I think there there were mistakes made uh, for 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 the life of me. I think for a while there it looked like they couldn't cover a tight end uh, during that game, and yet they were able to be dominant in that game. So that tells you a lot about where the Cowboys are right now, and I believe a much different team than we've seen in the last, you know, three or four years. Yeah, and, and what you've seen over the last two games, too, is they keep stressing uh, Mike McCarthy's kept, you know, been stressing all offseason complimentary football, how one side of the ball has to pick up the other. And, you know, with all the encouraging signs I thought the defense showed in the opener, 
the defense fell down in that aspect where in the two points in the game where they actually got a lead, uh, the defense turned it over like immediately. I mean, Dallas had two leads uh, in that Tampa Bay game on the road, and they lasted a total of less than two minutes, both leads, because uh, the defense, as well as it played overall, just gave up the momentum immediately. Uh, defense hadn't done that the last two games. Uh, you know, when, when the offense has sputtered, when they have done something uh, that puts the defense in a spot, uh, the defense by and large has responded or at least, you know, pushed, you know, kicked the can down the road to handle it later. They didn't give up a momentum right away. And uh, another key in this, and, and it's, you know, last week we said it was uncharacteristic but now it's happened two weeks in a row, and it goes back to the blueprint this team used back in 2014 and 2016 when it was successful, is they come out, establish themselves in the first quarter, get an early lead, and then dictate the tempo and how the game is played the rest of the way. And for the second consecutive game, the Cowboys not only scored 14 points in the first quarter, they got 13 first downs in the first quarter. <laughs> 13 first downs in back-to-back games. Uh, that hadn't been done. Uh, from what I saw, I don't think that's been done in the NFL before where you've gone, a team has gone back-to-back games getting 13 first downs in a quarter. Listen, there was a point on, on last night, I, I guess in the second quarter, when they flashed a graphic on TV that just made my head spin when the Cowboys had 19 first downs and the Eagles had run nine offensive plays. Um Hey, I, I, you know, I, that look, the Cowboys gave up a touchdown on a, on a, on a fumble um, when they were backed up. Um, and I thought the only other breakdown for me defensively really was for some reason they had the Eagles on a third and long in the third quarter when that game was about to get out of hand and they called a defensive timeout. And all that did was actually allow the Eagles to kind of regenerate that drive. I, that one I didn't quite get, but. Everything that everything they did, they had an answer for, and I, I'm just looking at the NFL in, in, in 2021 and, and wondering, like, all right, so I assume that the Packers are going to be a tough team in the NFC. I assume that both the Rams and the Cardinals are going to be a tough team in the are, are going to be tough teams in the NFC. I don't see any other elite teams in the NFC at this point. No, you've seen, uh, you know, Seattle, who's normally in the conversation. They've lost two games. Um, New Orleans is more limited. It's, it's, I would say, more erratic offensively uh, than what it has been, certainly during the, the Drew Brees era. And that's what you're just going to get from the quarterbacks there with, with James Winston. Sure. And it is going to be that. They're not going to be as consistent. Yeah. Right. But they're going to be dominant some and games. So that's uh, and, and, that's, and with that and that's defense, New difference. Orleans is really good defense. So, well, absolutely, and that's what you're going to see. I think is going forward here. You know, guys are who they are, and and uh, uh, Jameis Winston has been a quarterback throughout his career who could make some great plays, and then he's going to throw a really bad interception, uh, and and that's going to be the kind of thing that's going to get them hurt. They're going to he's going to make bad decisions. Uh, watching that game last night, you know, thinking that that Jalen Hurts was going to be able to lift this team and carry it, I, I just don't think that was going to happen. You know, when when he was at Oklahoma, I remember talking to people there, and they said, that, yeah, that, he's he's got a lot of charisma. He's a great guy, a uh, great leader. But there was a big difference between when Baker Mayfield was there and Kyler Murray was there and when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. 
there was just a big difference in the in the uh, in able to grasp the offense and what was going on and, and the decision making that was being made. And I think that that is the kind of thing that is just going to take Jalen Hurts some real time to grow into. Uh, and speaking of which, I think we've seen Dak Prescott really grow as a quarterback here over the last – well, from the time he's been with the Cowboys. It's been phenomenal, sure. the growth that, that he it's has dramatic. And that and, and now what we're seeing now – and he said after the game, I believe I'm playing my best football now. Do you think that he is, David? Yeah, I, I think he is. You know, as you saw, that was a very poor decision in the end zone. Uh, he should have just thrown that ball out of bounds as, so, as soon as he – felt the pocket collapsing. He, he had nowhere to go with that. Uh, that was just being indecisive there in that situation. Uh, that was a poor decision. But uh, his command of the offense and how decisively Kellen Moore is calling games now. Uh, you know, these two have been together for a while. That's something Mike McCarthy wanted to keep together. That's why he backed off and didn't do the play calling. He saw that uh, Dak and Kellen had a connection going. He wanted them to build, continue to build on that. And, and you're seeing the benefits of it uh, this season. And, uh, you know, again, last night, Dak Prescott was talking about how quickly they're getting to the line of scrimmage and how decisively they're calling it because uh, Kellen Moore is just in a groove. And Mike McCarthy said something interesting, too. And, and you know, look, this is a team that threw it 58 times in the opener and it ran it 41 times last night. And you can go, oh, well, you know, Philly was giving him the run, so you just keep running it. Well, there, there was more to it than that. And, and Mike McCarthy said, brought up the point, he said, look, uh, they, their defense adjusted. But what Kellen did was he altered our running game to take advantage of their adjustments to allow us to keep running the ball. So it's the in-game adjustments that Kellen Moore is making now that are the encounters that is also working out for them. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, this team just seems different to me. It's you know I, we we've seen mistakes made. We, first of all, we didn't see any goofy decisions by John Fossil, the uh, special teams coach, last night. They just play, pretty much played it straight up. Missed an you know uh, Greg Zerline missed an extra point, but that was really the only screw up by the special team. So so that was good to see that. But there have been so many things that have enabled them to to make plays and overcome things. You know, one of the things that you know we, we saw is that with all the players who are out, with all the players that they're missing for various reasons, um, the the young guys have stepped up, and and that's something we haven't really seen in the last few years. Uh, Odigizua did, had a really good game last night. We we've seen Trayvon Diggs continue to play. He's had a good start to his career. I, I he's been very noticeable. Uh, to, to not last night was the the best example of it, but he's been outstanding. I thought the first two games as well. And so that's really important that they're getting this. You know, they were getting production out of their first round draft picks for the last several years, but it was the guys down the board, uh, the second, third, fourth round, with, with the exception of Dak Prescott, obviously, and, and and Tony Pollard. But those guys are starting to pile up a little bit on this team now. Those guys that they've taken in the first four rounds are all starting to produce a little bit, and 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 some of them a lot more than a little bit. So, and, and specifically Trayvon Diggs, who uh, is really ph- phenomenal to watch. You know, I, I liked him last year. He was aggressive. He got beat a lot of times, but in, even in the place he got beat, he was right there, uh, capable of making a play, and just didn't quite make it. He's the the difference between Diggs at cornerback. And everybody else, the Cowboys have trotted out there in the last, I don't know, 25 years uh, is phenomenal. 
Well, just an example, I know we need to wrap up this segment here shortly, but uh, that was Diggs. Uh, he has an interception in each of the first three games. He's the first Cowboys defender to have an interception in each of the first three games to start a season since Everson Walls back in 1985. He now has three interceptions on the season. That is the most by a Cowboys cornerback for an entire season in 10 years. <laughs> you have to go back to 2011 when Terrence Newman had four interceptions. So that's the most interceptions by a Cowboys corner in the last decade is Terrence Newman with four. I have to believe in these final 14 games that Trayvon Diggs will be able to pass that. Yeah, I would think so too. All right, that's going to wrap up our Cowboys segment. Uh, now we'll go to the other end of the spectrum and we're going to talk about the Rangers uh, who are – Fast approaching the 100-loss season uh, that I know no one wants to to take that on. Frankly, I, I, I think at this point it's not going to make any difference to fans, whether it's a whether it's a 99-loss team or 102 or 103 or whatever, Evan. It, it, I mean, at this point in time, and I'm kind of prepared to write this when the team does get to 100 losses, 100 is a round number. Uh, it, it doesn't have, I think, the same stigma that it once used to for all of us of a certain age. We've had, this is, there's going to be, I believe it's 1,100 lost teams over the last three full seasons of Major League Baseball. 11? Really? Wow. Yeah. It's going to, it's becoming more and more uh, common because the thought is if you can't be very good, then the next best thing is to be very bad. And, do that and, and and get some draft picks and and go and follow the the Astros mode. I, I don't know that a lot of people can pull that off, but that has been it, that has kind of become the price of doing business. If if you want to rebuild a team, the best way to do it quickly is to get a top five draft pick, do it for a couple of years, and and then go. Uh, what we have seen is we saw the White Sox lose a hundred games in two thousand eighteen. They've won the American League Central in twenty twenty one. We saw the Astros lose 103 consecutive years, the last being in 2013, and they won the World Series in 2017. So there are the ability to turn it around from a 100 loss club uh, is not necessarily a long, long process. Uh, I do think it is a multi year process, and I think, you know, the Rangers have got to take some steps forward next year, which brings us to this point. That this year was all about finding out answers, it was about giving opportunities to a number of guys. Um, and letting them play, all really mostly on the position side. And the best that I think Chris Woodward could say when I asked him about the answers that he's found out this year is, yeah, they've gotten some answers that guys, you know, will have roles on next year's team, but he couldn't even say what exactly those roles would be. And he certainly couldn't answer whether or not there was a definitive thought that these guys would be on championship caliber Ranger clubs. And, and, and so, I, you look at this team, and I, I feel like Adolis Garcia, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and Nathaniel Lowe have all kind of demonstrated that they have an ability to help this team in 2022. Is that as a starting shortstop for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa? Not 100% sure. Is Nathaniel Lowe the first baseman? I think he is. But if Freddie Freeman were available in free agency, I don't think the Rangers would hesitate one bit to try and make a play for him. Um is Adolis Garcia a starting everyday outfielder? 
I think we've seen a lot of power and we've seen some really good defense, but I also think there's way too much swing and miss. And it's the same kind of thing that is dog Rangers clubs over the last couple of years is you've got to have some tougher at bats in the middle of that lineup. Maybe if you, if you go out and sign a bunch of guys, maybe Adolis fits really well as a number seven hitter, but he's certainly not a, a guy you can count on in the middle of the order um, just because of the lack of consistency. Yeah, I agree with that on Adolis. Uh, I, I want to say one thing for me, my biggest disappointment with this Ranger team, other than not finding enough answers uh, this year, uh, was not getting to see Josh Young play third base. Uh, I, I thought that that was going to happen. I thought he was going to end up playing August, you know, the last three months of the season and just get an idea of what he looks like and how he handles it. Uh, that, to me, uh, is a concern because now you have to wait till the spring, you see. And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a big deal. Uh, I just think that I would have liked to have seen him play. Well, I mean, I think that would have been a um... – Certainly would have been something to be, you know, somewhat excited about. But I think that all went out the window when he fra- fractured his foot and was going to be out until the middle of June, um, or the, I'm, I'm sorry, late May. Uh, and, and the bottom line is they didn't need to put him on the 40 man roster this year. They don't need to put him on the 40 man roster this December. He can go to camp. They can protect somebody else all winter, and then if he wins the job in 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 camp next year, he's the third baseman. Um, but the Rangers need to make sure that these guys win jobs outright. They have to, uh, they really have to kind of, of earn these things. I think what we saw with Leody Tavares this year is a great example of that. Here's a guy who kind of somewhat uh, held his own last year, wasn't overwhelmed, but he didn't earn a job. And then he came out this year and he was completely overwhelmed. Yeah, that's going to be a real concern about how they go forward with these guys because I think Tavares is a lesson. Uh, I I still don't have an idea what kind of player he's going to be. I do think that Adolis Garcia has a place on this team. And, uh, Evan, do you think that Adolis is a good shot to win this Rookie of the Year? Because one of us on this panel has a vote for that. Well, it's it's certainly not me. Um, I. Kevin, look, I mean, the 30 home runs and the defensive abilities really stand out. And if you look at all the candidates for Rookie of the Year, Adolis' case on defense is really strong. But how many rookies a year ever win it based on defense? Um, his batting average, which I know doesn't necessarily matter uh, in a modern voter's mind, is the lowest um, and would be the lowest, I think, since Jose Canseco won at a two thirty nine average in, in 1986. Um, I think Randy Arazarena, who's playing for a, the team with the best record in the American League, is going to get uh, an awful lot of contention uh, or, or consideration. Um, I think Luis Garcia in Houston, uh, while pitchers aren't typically your rookies of the year, I think that he's got a fairly strong case. And you can't overlook Emmanuel Classe, the former Ranger who's closing games for, for Cleveland. Um and has thrown more 100-mile-an-hour pitches than anybody in baseball this year. But I, I, I think Adolis has a good case. I'm not sure that I would be um, in a position where I'd call him the overwhelming favorite. I, I think there's too many um, uncertainties, and the fact that he's playing on a 100-loss team, I think will weigh in the minds of some voters. If he had absolutely outstanding stats, it wouldn't. But the, the, the overall number of stats – 
um, the batting average and the fact that Ryan Mountcastle is is tied with him in home runs, I just don't know that that's going to overwhelm voters necessarily. No, I don't think so either. Uh, but I, I do think that Adonis has a place on this team going forward just because uh, I, I, I like the idea that this team has at least changed its identity a little bit. This was a very strong team on defense, especially in the outfield this year. And when was the last time you could say that about the Rangers? And this is the direction that, that MLB is going. You've got to have guys in the outfield who can cover the gaps You got you know, and guys who are taking runs away. They, this team is consistently throughout the season, no matter who was in the outfield, has done an excellent job of, of, of taking runs away, taking runs away on the bases, taking home runs away over the fence. Yeah, no matter how you slice it, the Rangers outfield defense comes up as, as elite this year. Um, the question still is, with a guy like Tavares, can he be offensively good enough so that the defense can play? With DJ Peters, can he be offensively consistent enough where the defense will play? But from start to finish, if you were picking one spot on the Rangers this year that has consistently been good and elite, it's been the outfield defense. They lead the major leagues, depending on what metric you look at, what advanced metric you look at, they lead the major leagues in, 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 defense, in outfield defense. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers uh, segment of the podcast. Uh, we also talked about the Cowboys' big win over the Eagles, obviously. And now we're going to switch over and do a little potpourri. We're going to have a, a little bit of a talk about colleges and a little bit about the Mavericks as well. They're getting ready to start off uh, things. Uh, we, we've seen that this year, uh, it's been really interesting in college football nationally, uh, is the what appears to be a lack of dominant teams, although I think anybody who played Georgia this year would probably uh, argue uh, against that point. Uh, and Alabama has, has played well enough, certainly. Uh, but it, it led to the talking point that maybe this is the year for an A&M to, to sneak into the college football playoff or, or to Oklahoma to get back in the college football playoff. And, and frankly, uh, on A&M's side, I'm not seeing that. Uh, not with the, the problems they're having at quarterback. Zach Calzada is has not shown that he's quite up to that point. He might be at some point in his career. I just don't think he is this year in that game against Arkansas. Uh, they really exposed. Uh, and, and not that we didn't suspect some of those things might be an issue, but uh, Arkansas dominated uh, the Aggies uh, pretty much like they did Texas. And so – uh, and I think that we've seen at Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler has struggled to be the quarterback he needs to be. Although, boy, I sure hate to see the home crowd booing him. I, I think that's a, I, you know, maybe I'm just old fashioned. I think that's a terrible thing for the home crowd to be booing their own college players. I think that's terrible. Uh, but uh, that's just going to happen uh, when you have high expectations. And there was a lot of talk that that Spencer Rattler might be a Patrick Mahomes starter kit. And I got to tell you, it's that's not there. Uh, he's not the same player that uh, Patrick Mahomes is or was at Texas Tech. Uh, so uh, it's going to be interesting to me to see uh, what happens going forward here uh, in college football this season. Well, I, I think that A&M – you know, is basically playing for second as usual in the SEC West. Um, did Alabama look beatable against Florida in Gainesville? Yeah, they did. Um, well, it's a tough place to play. You know, it's a tough place to play. Um, but the Arkansas, the Arkansas dominance was really impressive, and 
quite frankly, I'm a little bit as a as a Georgia fan, I'm a little bit concerned about playing Arkansas this week. I I, I just think their line play, their running game is is, is really been good, and and. And so I, I think that A&M, once again, is, is kind of facing an uphill battle very early in the year. As, as far as Oklahoma goes, listen, if, if they run the table in the Big 12, regardless of how poor their start has been or how unimpressive their wins have been, I still think they're going to be in a position to, to, to sneak in as the number four team in the, in the playoff. When Ohio State or Michigan doesn't dominate the Big 12, when you've got Penn State and you've got Iowa as the top two teams in the in the big in the Big Ten, there's a there's a chance for Oklahoma to jump the, those teams by the end of the season. Well, it's going to be interesting, real quick. U, UT has a hot quarterback now going against that OU defense, and again, who thought would be talking about the OU defense? But that's going to be a very interesting test for both to see just how these. Uh, just where that stands, the UT quarterback and the in the OU defense. Well, they made the decision to go with Casey Thompson over Hudson Card, and that was, you know, frankly, I, I don't know how Steve Sarkeesian came up with the idea that Hudson Card was the guy uh, at quarterback to begin with. Uh, and I and I wrote this earlier this year in college football, you need to have a dual threat quarterback. Unless this guy is just an unbelievable talent, uh, you know, a Justin Herbert, something like that, and even he's a dual threat. Uh, it, you just really need to have have a guy who can get you out of trouble, and that's what Casey Thompson can do. We'll see if Texas has has enough. I think that should be a very good game uh, next week against Oklahoma, uh, uh, and and we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, right now, uh, it's it's kind of a, a free for all, I think, uh, except for at Texas Tech, which I, uh, I would expect Matt Wells at any moment there'll be a press conference. Uh, it's in a free fall, a free, <laughs> a free fall, fall there. Free for all. Exactly. That's not that's not going well out there, and not and losing seventy to thirty five to Texas. Uh, I you know there there were fans saying this was Tech fans saying this was worse than than losing to Kansas. Uh, so and, and and it is because that game really means something to the Texas game. Uh, so we'll see what they can do going forward. All right. The Mavericks had their media day on Monday and uh, we had some interesting things come out of that. Uh, ESPN also selected its top 100 players and Luka Doncic came in at number four at 22 years old. Uh, the guys in front of him were Kevin Durant, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, LeBron James, and at number five, one pick behind Luka was Steph Curry. Uh, those five players, four of them have won titles. Uh, the the youngest that any of them won titles was at 26, uh, and and uh, the Greek Freak did that last year at 26. So Luca will be 23 in February. So David, that tells me that he's still on track uh, to do what he needs to do, uh, and uh, he's got a little time here. Although it'd be nice if he could get out of the first round this year. Sure, and and that's it, it. Speaks to his promise and and his uh, transcendent ability, and, and he really has that. Uh, and it's also a reminder. You mentioned those other guys around and how old they were when they first won a title. That is one thing. People are impatient when they see greatness. They expect the greatness to culminate, and and try to compare it to a LeBron James career or uh, a Steph Curry or someone else after they had success, not when they were building up to have that success. And so it shows you that, you know, Luka Doncic still has a little bit of time here, uh, a grace period, a three-year grace period, if you will, to kind of get in that 
uh, range where he's most likely to do it if this team puts the proper players around him. That being said, I can tell you four years from now when this poll is done, if Luka Doncic has not won a title or he has not gotten the team to the conference championship, um, he's going to drop out of that top five. Someone else is going to go in there because they will have led their team uh, to the title and they will be viewed differently. So it's still a little bit of that awkward stage for Luka where everyone recognizes what he can be. But how much longer are they going to say what he has not done? Uh, We're not to that point yet, and I don't think he'll even be this season. But I can tell you if the Mavericks go out in the first round again this season, uh, I I don't think the playoffs are concerned. This team will make the playoffs. But if they go out in the first round again this season, then I think Luka's really going to start to come under uh, increased scrutiny, and he should. Um, You know, any great player should, and, and it's about how they respond to those expectations. And now we're about to see that with Luca. The expectations are in place. How will he respond? You know, we had at that uh, uh, news uh, media gathering there for the Mavericks, you know, this always happens. Uh, when the new coach staff comes in, uh, there's always uh, some assessment of the previous staff. And that was that, well, this one is more communicative. They're, they're more solicitous. They want to uh, they want to know what we think. They want to know how we're feeling. I don't doubt that any of that's true. You know, Rick Carlisle ran a very tight ship. Uh, you know, what you saw on the sidelines of Rick Carlisle was who he was. You know, it, this is a guy that, that <laughs> had that very grim look all the time, very, very taciturn and tough approach. Uh, and I don't know how well that flies in today's NBA. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I know that, uh, that uh, Jason Kidd had a few things to learn as well from his previous stops. And he talked about that and about what he learned in LA uh, with Frank Vogel and the Lakers. So uh, David, just real quickly, what do you think that's going to be the adjustment period for this coaching staff with this roster? Well, I I think because of Rick's style, because of the the fact Jason played, uh, he's made some mistakes in his couple of stops along the way. I I think it's going to be very smooth going and a a quick transition to the new coaching staff. But you're together so much. Situations are going to arise. The competition is so strong in the Western Conference. Uh, There are going to be challenges uh, along the way here. But, uh, you know, Jason Kidd will keep the lines of communication open. The the biggest thing is, and we've talked about this, is uh, Chris Stops Porzingis, something of a reclamation project. Can they get him to really buy in and be the number two guy that he needs to be as this team is currently constructed? Uh, because that got away from him as last year went along, and he was an afterthought in the postseason. Rebuilding his confidence and his stature and carving him a niche in this offense is the most important thing uh, that, that Jason Kidd can do with this team this year as it's currently constructed. Yeah, at this point, I think I'd take uh, KP being the number three option uh, if he could just even pull that off. That's going to do it for our uh, podcast this week. Thanks for coming. Make sure to to tune in and uh, catch us. We're, We're going to be here every time you tune in. We'd like to hear from you. See you. Bye.